So, uh, now is it Cavallero? Cavallero. 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 Right. Right. Cavallero in Spanish. Yes. Now, is that a Spanish name or not? Uh, well, I'd say I don't have to spend money to, want to know where I come from, and it's uh, not from a royal family, not at all. Caballero, people come from Spain, but where the servants, people cleaning up horses. So that's why I'm invited to the king's uh, <laughs> event next week. But you know how to ride a horse, do you? <laughs> yeah, a yeah. Bit. Okay. the Argentinian way, anyway, not the English one. <laughs> okay. And it's, you prefer Ricky or Ricardo? Ricky. 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 Ricky Cavallero is a senior, well-traveled publishing executive. We're meeting in Milan. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Well, thank you very much. Good morning. Now, I'm relying on the internet, but uh, here's, uh, here's what I just uh, found. First of all, you had a childhood in Libya, is that right? Yes, I grew up in Libya in the 70s. So it's Libya with Gaddafi. We moved there when I was seven years old. Until I was 11. And it's been one of the happiest times of my life. And why was that? Well, it was because we lived, we kids, we lived like little animals. We were able to go with our bikes everywhere. <laughs> At that time, Libya had two million inhabitants. We lived in Benghazi. And so I was uh, outside playing all day long. Hi. We had no TV, no movie theaters, no nothing, no telephone. So we had a lot of books, and that's how I started reading. Because uh, it was the only, the only thing you could do was reading. So I read a lot at, the, at that time. Your father was a big reader? Uh, yes, that, no, definitely. It was my, my father and my mother, they were big readers. And twice a year, we used to travel to Italy and go to, say, the, the biggest bookshop at the time in Milan. It was the, the Oakley uh, bookshop. I just interviewed Barbara Oakley. <laughs> Barbara, younger than me. Uh, she wasn't there at that time. She wasn't born. Okay. Um, and, uh, and we both boxes and boxes of books and send them to Benghazi and so. Uh, and what were you reading primarily? Hemingway was, I started reading all his books from 8 to 11. And, and I loved him, it really changed the way I watched things. Yeah. And a few years ago I went back rereading it and I was somehow disappointed. I mean, it's still Hemingway, but I'm a different guy. I mean, I'm 60 years old, I was 80 years old at that time. Yeah. So at that time was like discovering a new world and so I learned the English I know I learned it from, from those books. Nowadays it's, it's still Hemingway, but I'm a different guy. And that happens sometimes when you read reread books in a different age of your life. Yeah, we were just saying, I, I found that with Gabriel Garcia Marquez and 100 Years of Solitude. And, uh, and speaking of Marquez, I wanted to bring this up. Years ago, I was in Antigua uh, on the beach. And there was a couple quite nearby. And uh, I noticed that he was reading the same book that I was reading. And it's that short book that he wrote about whore, uh, whores, prostitutes. Oh, yeah. I published it in, in Spain and Latin America. Right. So I came up to him and I, of course, we, and he's, he was Italian. He's Italian. He's from Ischia, the island of Ischia. And so we, we hit it off on that front, and then I examined the cover. And on the North American cover, there's no nipple on the woman's breast. But in the Italian, of course, of course there is. So I just wonder, I, I mean, you're, ta you're talking about, it's so prudish. 
but yeah, and you're talking about different markets. So how how would you how would you market something like that in Italy versus Spain? Let's well, say. different tastes, taste, I believe, different cultures, and yeah. and, and it also seems and other things seems not to be a problem for us in Italy, and uh, perhaps because it's a Catholic country, so. We can always say we're sorry, we made a mistake. So I think that that's never been a problem here. I mean, no. when while in the States, I mean, think about when the bikini was launched in, back in the 60s in California, and you go to a beach and, in Italy and you find people, uh, ladies with uh, without their bra. Yeah. And it's quite normal and nobody notices it. You do that in, in an English island and you're gonna be fine. <laughs> Yeah, the police will be on you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but then we we're much more, how can I say, short-minded on other things that affects much more. So it's good to to have women to be able to do what they want. But on the other side, I think we have still to have to improve something on civil rights and and democracy. So I'd rather prefer to. To, to have more, to see more bras on the beach and more respect for civil rights in everyday life. So, yes, so it's a balance you have to find. But anyway, I mean, in publishing, it's uh, it's important. It's not only it's not only just a matter of the jacket. It's only also a matter of the success of the book. I mean, uh, when I worked in spent ten years in charge of Spanish markets, uh, so Latin America from Mexico to Argentina, and. Uh, and the fusion we we European do uh, an idea at the beginning was okay that's Latin America yeah well that's a continent and so Mexico is very different from Colombia Venezuela not even talk, thinking about Argentina or Chile and and the language is different I would say Colombia it's the the country where they still keep the very old Spanish so it's the clean Spanish. There are a lot of false friends between Mexico and Argentina, so you call things with different names. Uh, so that means you have to publish them in different, slightly different. Uh, if you're publishing genre, genre normally you do Spanish translation and you export it everywhere. But if you're yeah. talking about literature, yeah, uh, then you have to be very careful because uh, again, at the very beginning when I got when I moved to Spain back in 1919. Seven. The habit was to read a book, sell it in Spain, and then send the returns to Latin America, which is quite offensive because behind that there is the assumption that uh, it's a it's a second tier country. You're going to read our returns. Well, and what about the language itself? There isn't a problem then doing a Spanish edition and then sending that exact same edition over to. No, we, we were doing that in. Some changes for Garcia Marquez, for, for for other authors. You adapt that for each country, for each geographical. It was funny because uh, at that time we were also publishing classes, uh, uh, and you can really mess up things if you if you have to show the borders of Patagonia because as of today, well, at that time, the border of Patagonia was different from an Argentinian perspective or a Chilean perspective. Uh, so yeah. there is an area of nobody in the middle, but Chile believes there, that's Chilean Patagonia, and Argentinian says, no, that's our Patagonia. So you, we have to bring two different analyses for the country. It's, it messes up with warehouse. Right. Otherwise, yeah, what, you're going to get a revolt or you're going to... You're not going to get a... You're going to get a bestseller in one country and zero sales in the other. 
that's a bit crazy. It turned out to be even more crazy in in Spain in the last 20 years when nationalism really, really grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, for, for textbooks, if you do an exercise, for ma- math exercise in the book, okay, you, so you have to use... Pedro is moving from his town to the mountain. Those are the, the miles. Um, how long will it take to an average speed of X? And so you always have to use the mountain and the capital of the region, which right. is crazy. Well, especially Catalonia, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how it's... So, so you would have editors who would make these tiny little changes throughout the books? We had the... In Spain, uh, Spanish animals, publishing animals, was in charge of everything. So let's say all the other countries were somehow branches, branch offices, commercial offices. And we decided that that was wrong. And so we hired editors in all the countries. And we had our editorial plans were very different from country to country. We had some things like CM Markets, uh, Kutsi or Pamuk were published uh, all, all over the world. But uh, there were, we were publishing a lot of local authors that had a good market, for instance, in Argentina with Sudamericana, and we were not promoting them in Spain because publishing, I think, in the end, it's a very regional market. It's, there's not a great advantage in having companies all around the world. I mean, when I was working, and then there was the, the philosophy that Random House had at that time, I mean, I'm talking the biggest publisher on earth, uh, as, we, as we're talking about today. But nevertheless, I think the brilliant thing they've done through the, the decades, not years, is that they keep every single country run as, a, as an independent country. And I think that's one of the keys of their success. You know, that's interesting because, uh, well, in the last few years, I've interviewed uh, James Daunt with Waterstones and Barnes & Noble. And this is the same sort of idea. He's allowing each store to react to the local market. That's correct. And uh, this is part of the reason for his success. So it's, uh, uh, I, I can see that happening, but with publishing houses, I, you know, I see all of these different uh, little houses within the big house, to, you know, trying to re-est- reestablish uh, Alan Lane, for example, as, a, as a, his own little house. That, that strikes me as kind of, it's just window dressing. It's, as opposed to doing something like you're saying, where you do have local people uh, yeah. corresponding and responding to the local market. But, but coming up with all of these different little houses within the great big house, what's the purpose of that? I think there is a, it's a way you do it and, and it depends on the philosophy of the publishing house. I mean, so at that time in Random, I think today, well, today they're a little confused, I believe. I mean, they have to define who runs the, who runs the company. So the last three months, sales have been going messy yeah. up there. Yeah. Well, the, the way that they grew, have been growing over the last decade or, is just by acquiring other companies as opposed to building the market. Would you say that's yeah. accurate? Already big, big enough, so they, they, they had to buy their market yes. shares. Yeah. Uh, somehow also driven by the Amazon effect, I mean. Yeah, if you have yeah. to deal with such a big retailer, you have to be as big as you can. 
It's a very tough life out there. And so launching an imprint, an independent imprint somehow in, into, a con, into a conglomerate, yeah, uh, that's what you do. I mean, if you believe it can work and, and you let them leave and do what they want on their own, which not only means you let them publish the book they want to, yes, but you yeah. also have to leave them somehow free to define their commercial conditions so the way they get to retailer retailers they can decide i don't want to go with amazon I just want to go with independent retailers so things get a little bit more confused because you know the structure is very difficult to the kind of freedom you can have it's not so tricky yeah so i mean part of it's lovely part of it is you know bringing back to life some of these great names these publishing names in these smaller entities. That's, that's what I've seen in six years in my experience in Italy. I and mean, sometime, I mean, you could ask, so if you want to launch an imprint, why don't you launch your own company? Right. What I want is the catalog. If you're a company that only publishes uh, new titles, even if you have a lucky year, you're never sure you can survive next year. In the market we have now, with very little differences between one country and the other, it's very difficult it's, uh, to, to assure a long perspective to your company if you're not somehow linked to someone who has paperback. And if you only have paperback and you have a commercial agreement with, with a paperback, if you only have, a, sorry, new titles and you have a commercial agreement with someone who has paperback, there's no money coming out of it. Five percent royalty, six percent if you're lucky. You share it sixty percent with the author. At the end of the day, I mean, you've done a good job. But there's no money, there's no cash flow for the company at the end of the year. Publishing it's a matter of cash flow, <laughs> as we all know. Well, yes, and it's it's a matter of uh, you know hitting uh, hitting one big one. I mean, it's it's so many titles. You know, ninety percent of the titles the sales aren't terrific. You're relying on uh, yeah, but. Even when you have a big title, I mean, everybody hits a big title once in a lifetime. It's a statistic. The point is, uh, what you're going to do after that big title? Most of the time, I mean, it's very difficult to build something on that big title. So, those, what we call the great titles, the one that sells in between, in the middle. But they're really, they're the ones you really want to yeah. publish. They, yeah. You really want them to be in the world, right? Yeah, from a, let's say, managerial perspective, that's what you want to do then. What every publisher wants to find is the big title. It's like drugs. <laughs> it's like... It's a wonderful trip. Right, well, plus it's immortality to yes. some extent. It's immortality. It's, it's fun, basically. It's a lot of fun. Well, tell me about that fun, then. Like, tell me. Oh, well, fun, fun could be different. It's not only a matter of, uh, of sales. I mean, uh, I to... Two different experiences, man. On one side, the uh, Nobel Prize, Oran Pamuk. Yeah. So how did how did that work? You did you establish an early relationship with him before for the Nobel Prize? Yes, but he was already published. Man, it was published by Warren, which was a different company. So what did you do specifically? We loved the daughter. I loved the daughter, and Claudio Lopez La Madrid was the, the publisher. We thought that it wasn't well published in Spain. And, uh, what does that mean? It's not well published. It was not selling enough. Sales were very low. The no, no promotion on the author. And first thing we did when we bought it, we were lucky because whenever you have an author, big author, where you invest money every year, 
your financial director will come back to you and say, advance that is not covered by sales. January or February, at the beginning of the year, they will come in your office with a list of authors. This is <laughs> shitty author, shitty author. We're not going to renew this contract. And that's the, the, the week when you, when you define whether you're a publisher. Because most of the time you have to say, okay, this is not selling. We're losing money. Let's move there. And so we want That's to the publisher, of course. That's, that's the because I'm not going to be doing this unless he's published. It depends on your taste, on what on what you want to do. And I'm not talking only about literature. I mean, that, that was with Amok. We published it for many years, losing money. And then one month before I got, or two months before, before, before I got the Nobel Prize, we organized a trip to Istanbul, when we published Istanbul, and with 30 booksellers, independent booksellers from Spain. And we were honored by having Oran Pamuk, who was Mr. Nobody at that time, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a tour guide in Istanbul for three days with us day and night, and was wonderful. Yeah. And a month later, it was the Nobel Prize of the Year, and we established a very close relationship. And in three months, all the write-offs of the previous five years yes. were... Covered, um, and that's that's the fun. The other fun I had in a total total different direction was I used to go to New York and this. Well, you worked there for three. Well, I worked there. I mean, since I was supposed to arrive in New York on September the twelfth, two thousand one. Of course, I had to delay my arrival <laughs> two weeks later uh, until two thousand three. So for two years, and even when I went, I came back to Italy. I had the habit to travel to New York at least three, four times a year. Mm -hmm. So I was there. For a tour uh, at the very beginning of ebooks, and uh, and I had a comparative with Sonny Meta, close friend of mine, and, and I, I told him, listen, I was in Barnes and Nobles, and on my e-reader just popped up an awful jacket and book. It's not available there, and I've walked and looked through eBay. It's an Australian paperback that's selling for four hundred fifty. Dollars, it's crazy. I said, Oh, yeah, we just bought it. We just bought it yesterday and was 50 Shades of Grey. I'm talking about Sony Meta and 50 Shades of Grey. So that's, that's something. Yeah. yeah, it started off as self published. Yeah. And so he, what happened? He, he read it. people, I think. He said, It's terrible. I read day. it. So the double day, editors bought it. So I made a phone call to, it was midnight, and called, Ever heard about this book, that book? And, and the answer was, of course, when we rejected it twice. That's titillation. It was marketing. It's SNS titillation. Yeah. I said, okay, just make an offer right now, please. I'm going to buy it. We offered 50,000 euro. They sold it for 90,000 euro. And we sold two and a half million copies in six months when we published it. And so that's another kind of. Um, so I'm open one side and 50 shades of grave. But you know what that says is there's different, you've got an eye for really good literature and you've got an eye for something that's going to sell. The skill then of an editor is, is to be able to say, yes, this is going to move a lot of units. And yes, this is something that's worth putting out into the world, even if it doesn't sell. If you have more than one kid, you have to define exactly what they can do. I mean, 
one of your kids is going to be a Nobel Prize in something, and the other one could be a very great salesman in the, the car dealer. New books is more or less the same, and they're all the same. They look the same, but they talk to different kind of people. So, of course, when you have a what we call a literary book, and you sell it in huge numbers, you have happier than ever. Well, that's the thing. That's the pinnacle. Plus, with that, you're making money that enables you to do the stuff that you think is So we always get back to cash flow, inevitably. Right. Okay, so you have talked about the importance of a, an, a, a clear editorial line. Can yeah. You, can you just describe what that, what you're talking yeah, about? Uh, people that buy books, that invest their money in buying your books, must believe in what you're doing. But most people don't even notice which publishing house it is, do they? I'm not so sure. I mean, of course, if you're publishing his names, famous authors, they buy the author. Right. So they buy the title or they're impressed by the, ja by the jacket. And the jacket is, again, a part of the editorial line you're following. Yes. And so we're getting back to that. But you have, uh, you have to be very firm in defining what you want to do and what you can't do. Otherwise, you start running behind anything and you want to publish everything and, and it's yeah. going to be a disaster. Right. So be firm. But firm on, like, for example, you, you in, in, in 2015, you set up uh, your... Yeah, when we, when we decided... Uh, so what was your firm, clear line on that one? Genre, thrillers and that kind of stuff. Publishing 35 titles a year. So find something, a new voice and... Uh, Luckily enough, we, we bought uh, Richard Osman before it was published in the UK. It turned out to become to be a huge success. I think he sold two million copies with his first book in hardcover in the UK, which is something extraordinary. And, and you got him before that? Yeah. So how did you yeah. find him? And again, working with very good people, that's yeah. key. Yeah. But what so, about those good people? What makes them good? When you publish, you're like a dog. You go hunting and you have, you have to smell things. Lucky, smart, mixture of the two things. And you've just sold to or a completely to factory. Yeah. So now what are you going to do? I'm going to read a lot. <laughs> not not only things that I want to publish, things that I want to read. Right, there's a lot of books that I want to love with that I'm good publish because of my different reasons and so now we can do what I want to do at least for a few months then let's see what what will uh, what will happen what about the difference then between uh, you know you know Spain you know New York you know Milan so tell me a bit about the difference in just the whole uh, life of being a publisher in these different places. Well, I've been very lucky, as you say, because I've been working in different yeah. markets. Uh, publishing is, as I said before, I, I believe it's a very regional business. So yes. Why is it regional business? It's a matter of taste. It's like with food. I mean, uh, you can have spaghetti in New York, uh, but if you're Italian, you will definitely not have spaghetti in New York. It's not no. the spaghetti yet. So taste changes from country to country with the exception of uh, the young markets, I mean, young uh, youth. Young adult. Young adult, young adult. Yeah. Uh, which more or less the same all around the world. The thing is, if it gets to a certain point, if, if it's successful here in Italy, 
then obviously you're going to try and sell the rights to it or in the English-speaking world. I mean, that makes With few exceptions, I would say. Alberto Eco, Massimo Freddi. No, say no more than 10 orders. I mean, so it there are different different reasons. One is, um, well, for sure the cost of translation, but that's just a little explanation. I mean, in publishers in the English market, you have so many authors that sometimes, most of the times you don't have to, to look outside. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, I mean, uh, if when I was in Spain, I was translating others from France or Dutch authors or English authors, we, as a publisher, we always got part of the money for the translation from the local, from the governments. Because you said in Italy, there's no support. No so support. To export, no. And Spain, from that perspective, did a very good job starting 30 years ago with the Instituto Cervantes. They understand, they understood that culture is an industry and they yeah. used it to attract tourists to the country. So the more you export your culture, I'm sure that Garcia Marquez, Vargas Llosa, Isabel Allende should get a medal from the tourist office if they attracted people. Because when you read Garcia Marquez and you want to go to, you want to go visit Cartagena, which is worth a visit, definitely a long one. Go to Spain, you, you love that culture, you end up. Yeah, well, look at Ferrante. Every day. Ferrante, Ferrante is a very good example. Ferrante, everybody's in love with Ferrante. It took more than 12 years to build Ferrante. So you need to have a part. That's not like Fifty Shades of Grey, where mm -hmm. you have dinner with Sony Meta, he buys it, you say, okay, just buy it. You buy it overnight, and three months after, later, the book, the, the book explodes. Yeah. Now, Ferrante, you have to be very strong, yeah. and you start publishing a book that sells 2,000 copies, and then the second one sells a little less, and it takes 12 years to get... That's faith. I would say... That's, that's faith. Ferran Ferrante wasn't built in a day. Let me say that. <laughs> that's the other part of the fun. Strong. Well, you need to be strong in the face of these bean counters that say, look, you're not earning your... It's easier when you're running a small company because yeah, yeah. you're also in charge of finance. So it's your money. It's, it's your, your money. money. You have to invest and lose money for a few years. After 12 years, you have a jewel. It's been a great TV production, a theater production in London. She's also, she was for a short time, a columnist on The Guardian. And nobody knows who she is. She, she never shows up. Yes. She, he, they. Them. Okay, so, so it's the local business. It's a very local business, but then the way people is the same on Argentina or in New York. Main booksellers, publishers, authors. It's one community worldwide. People act the same way all, all around me. What do you mean? Publishers will always complain about the fact that they, their books are not well distributed. Booksellers will always complain that there is a an exaggeration in production, too many books, uh, you should produce less books, uh, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, they will always ha hate uh, uh, commercial fiction. And, and that's the same, doesn't matter uh, where in, you're in New York, in Lima, or in uh, Bogota, or Barcelona, or Milano, those things are, are the same. There are different technicalities, of course, I mean, yeah. depending on whether you're in market, with Act yeah, or which you have here, uh, yeah. we have here since 2011. And uh, Ricky Levy, Ricky Levy, yeah, yeah, it's called the Levy Lower. Yeah. And uh, and on the other, the other things that makes difference is 
books are owned by the publisher, not by the bookseller. He puts the books there, and when he sells them, he hopefully will get back the publisher. Mm. Uh, the, the literary service isn't so great, is it? No, it's, it's very low. Yeah. It's just above Greece, around 6%. It improved right now, but it's like, I think it's 93% in France, 85% in the UK, so we're down to 60 or... It's extraordinary. It's hard to believe. No, but again, think about what I said before about the guy that said, you don't eat with books. Books will never give you food for the table. No. Uh, so book is something which is not important in our culture. It's, it has never been important. I don't know, perhaps because we're Catholics. No, but uh, the thing is, it is important because you look at, you've introduced that fixed price that, that protects booksellers. That was, that was to protect the booksellers, the independent yes. booksellers, and it was well done. So it tells me the government thinks that books are important yeah, enough to do this. Is. We have to also understand that Italy has, is a very, I would say, a unique moment. I think this is the only country where you the four, the biggest four publishers that control the retail chain. It doesn't matter. It doesn't happen in North America. It doesn't happen in Latin America. It doesn't happen in the UK, not in France. So there is this, uh, I would say, unfair competition, uh, especially I think this year, 2023, will be a very tough year because since the market is shrinking, companies are financially driven, I would say, right now. And mm -hmm. so, first reaction when you're running through, you say, okay, so we have the publishing house, we have the retailers, and so if I sell more books of my publishing house in my retail, in my bookshops, I will, I will double the margin. Let's do it. Yeah. I make and more money on my own than my it's own unfair, It's unfair competition, yeah. Well, of that was one of the reasons they brought that in. Yeah, it was one of the reasons they brought that in, but it was not enough. So, again, the concern is that they're, you're restricting the number of titles that Italians can read, yeah. and that's not good. They call bibliodiversity. It's, uh, it, 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 it's a mess. I think it's a stupid, at, at the end of the day, it's a stupid thing to be done because uh, you will end up... I mean, there might be people that want to buy Rolex and they will go to a Rolex shop. Most of the people on Earth want to buy a watch and they will go to a shop that shows all the watches you have yeah. instead of buying it. Uh, or it will end up going to e-commerce yeah. mm -hmm. because there I can find everything. On the other side, I mean, this, which I consider is a stupid thing to, to do, I mean, to use your bookshop chain to sell only the books of your publishing house. I mean, they will never do that. But uh, you can do it in a, in a, in a soft way, soft, soft, yeah. soft way. If you decide that even if you have 200 bookshops in Italy, and you will only buy 200 copies of a new title of an independent publisher, it's one of the problems. On the other side, because of what we learned with COVID, they have a great opportunity this year because they they have direct contact with their customers and they can show some they cannot compete with bookshop with a chain because they have twenty thousand titles in the shop so if you're an independent book publisher uh bookseller you're somehow like an independent publisher you have to do find exactly what you want to sell of course you will have three four top bestsellers that people will ask you for, but those titles, they can find them in a chain shop 
uh, on Amazon, of course, they're available everywhere. You don't need to go to a local one, to your proximity bookshop. You go to a proximity bookshop because you have a different service. You have, to, you have something that knows your taste. You have something, someone that knows the books and can propose something to you. Yeah. So, someone you trust in. So someone, yeah, who's well-read and smart and a friend, hopefully. Yeah, and, and I think that that was disappearing before COVID, and I perhaps it's one of the few good things COVID brought us in the last three years. Uh, yeah. Now, you have to work, you have to do things, you have to be smart, of course. Yeah. It's uh, it's small business. Yeah, there's so many of the Italian booksellers, it's just like a one or two person operation. So many of them, right? It's not only, it's also a matter of culture. I mean, it's very difficult to have two Italians agree on something. Right. Look, look, look at politics. <laughs> I mean, we, I mean oh, just yeah. yesterday, there were two in Renzi and Calenda just uh, split the, uh, the new, the brand new party that hasn't started yet, but was, they, they split it yesterday. So <laughs> it's in our nature. Yes. Okay. In your nature, we're winding down slowly here. Travel is in your nature, and it's interesting how you suggest that the publisher needs to get out around the world to understand the world so you can anticipate where the world is going so you can inform your decisions. Definitely. I think it's, it's not only for publishers, it's for everybody <laughs> to travel a lot and be open to other cultures, but if you're in publishing, more than ever, you have to travel to meet people to see different cultures because you have to anticipate what's going to happen and you so you you have to feel it of course I mean, as i as i said before i used to travel to new york because that was easy it was in charge of latin america that really changed my life i mean i had an idea of what spain was and latin america was and i had to change it dramatically when i arrived there but what was different was different people were different <laughs> latin america do not exist <laughs> in America, is, you, you, you might have North America, but you don't have Central or Latin America. It's a bunch of different countries, small countries. I mean, with Belize or... Well, what's different about all these people is they've just got what? Different, different history, different economy, different needs, kind of invasion from the, from the Spanish, from Castadores. Right. Whoever conquered us, we're not so we're not so keen on them. It's, it's, it's the same thing in the UK. Fusion between Scottish and English. Yeah, oh yeah. It's such a small, smaller country. But they're strong, deep, yeah, yearning to express who they are. The fact that those people are moving to Europe, it means something is happening down there. And whenever some in a country something happens, there is a cultural movement that follows or anticipates it. So as a publisher, we have to go to Africa really. Right now. What's happening? What's happening there? Because I'm sure there are new writers coming out. They, they because of the, whenever there's change, there's, there's interesting writing? Yeah. If there is a dictatorship, you will have to look for authors outside the country. Right. Because dictatorship kills. Or they've been exiled. Yeah. Mm. But if there's a revolution going on, it's writing something interesting for sure. Perhaps it's not, it's not, it's not non-fiction. It's going to be fiction. So how would you do that? What would you do? You would go down there and you'd look well, up the Writers Association or you'd call no, up a publishing house that you know? Or what would you do? They don't even have publishing houses. In the, you just go there and get into bars and people and streets and you have to smoke and see what happens. 
And in worst case scenario, you had an interesting holiday. Most of the times you find interesting people. Of and course, you have contacts, you know, women and mobile writers. Yeah. You have contacts, you see, nowadays it's easier than, than it was in the past. To, yeah, to get, get out there. It's, it's interesting, you know, our mutual friend Richard Cherkin. One of the things that really strikes me about him is that he does, he gets out there. He, he'll write about his own experience and he'll, he was one of the earliest people who were blogging. You know, he does, he tries out things, he gets, he gets out there. He, he learns what people are doing, he, you know, he pays attention to that. He listens. If you're talking, you can't listen. It was always interested in, in your experience. It was right. never talking about what he had done, what he was doing. It was always asking questions. Uh, I think that's one of the secrets if you're in this job. Yeah. Uh, that will interest other people. But you have to control your ego. Otherwise, it's, it's a delirium. It's a delirium. Well, and also you don't listen. Yeah. If you're a publisher, you definitely have to listen. People who listen typically have a lot of friends because people like to talk about themselves. If you're listening to that, they like that. They want to go to you because you listen to them. That's a social activity. And this is what you say here. You say that, you know, a publisher is someone who participates in life, who goes to parties, uh, and who, who has the marks on, the, on his or her liver. I confirm that that's one of the nice part of being in publishing. Yes. Well, and that this is how I want to sort of wind this down then. Here I am in Milan. What's the best bar to go to? Oh. Until, until two months ago, <laughs> Sam, my publishing house, was one of the best places to go through, too. Because... Uh, you had a bar there? No, we didn't. We didn't no. When we opened, when we launched our publishing house, uh, it's in a it's in a canteen it's in a canteen it's underground. Uh, it's um, three hundred square meters office uh, open space. Uh, it's a very strange office. Everybody loved it. Did. We decided okay once a week we're gonna open up the publishing. So we have a place for events, and we were presenting books our authors sometimes most of the times uh, authors from other publishers as long as they the authors all the publishers were friends. So we decided some. Uh, so they did readings, you mean? Or? Yeah, readings. Uh, we had music, jazz trio, or uh, monologues. Uh, once a week, uh, we call them Thursdays and Thursday night. And we started at 7 yeah. with an apparently for everybody. Yeah. Then 50 minutes presentation, and when we had dinner for everybody. We stayed there until 1, 2 a.m. And of course, people were living, most of the people were living at but it was very interesting because the people were staying there, talking until late in the morning. We had authors staying there, musicians, and uh, we discovered, we had, we launched two authors from those uh, dinners. And I think that's publishing. Uh, it's not only the fact of being closed in a book presentation or uh, signing, which is wonderful, but let's say 8 p.m. the bookseller needs to go back. And we were also selling books, uh, but not directly. We were selling physically the books, mm -hmm. but all the numbers went to an independent book pub book publisher bookseller that was in the area. Yeah. Uh, some five from, from so, so that's to me, to me, to me and my wife, the, the company with me, Teresa. That's publishing. You have to. Stay with people and uh, 
to listen and if you eat and drink in between, that helps. <laughs> so you invited everyone for dinner. Yeah. You had to have an invitation to come. But you gave out a free was dinner? Was free. Yeah. Was free dinner. I think it was much better than investing in advertising on newspapers. So now we sold the company and the company moved to Feltrinelli with a wonderful building. Of course, it's a, it's a different perspective. They, they depend a little more on algorithms and that kind of stuff. That's but wonderful. people in the street, man, they stopped me and it was in Winston Park of Milano. The guy in the square, I never met. Yeah. Just stopped me in the street because he, he attended on Thursday nights. And we normally had between minimum 50, 50 people, maximum 350. So a lot of people. And then that's a lot of wine. The average was around 70 bottles per night. So it's, it's a good investment. So right now we're just refurbishing the place and we will start again at the end of May. We'll present a book of a friend uh, published by Analdi and uh, we will call it in a different way, but we will go on having uh, this kind of meetings uh, once a week. It won't be the same Thursday night, so no. we'll have a different name, of course. It will be, we will say for sure, you ask me what, what, what you want to do. The first thing I will do is uh, with my wife, we were going to set up a sort of cultural association just to have parties on Thursday. That's good. And meet people there. Perhaps we will have some more music this time, more jazz or whatever. Yeah. Just as good because since we are in a condominium, it, I mean, if you have punk music, people yes. will <laughs> complain on the <laughs> on the first floor. We won't be very happy. So jazz is perfect. Okay, we still haven't asked my answer my question. Sorry. A bar on the that we can't go that to that. I can't close, go to that. No, close to the where are the publishers hang out. No, I don't. You don't hang out. Oh well, well, there is one. No, there is a. I'd say that definitely there is a place, uh, and it's a small bookshop. Uh, it used to be independent. Now it's part of the chain Republic, and it's Verso in Corso di Porta di Cinese. Okay. And it's an interesting story. Very nice story. It was established and founded by small independent, small independent publishers, three of them, and uh, basically it's a bar with a bookshop. It's a very small one, and it's two floor. But uh, well, it's no more than 100 square meters, two different floors. Okay. And if you go there at night, they express presentations, uh, they present books. But it's called Verso? Yeah, Bar Bookstore. Close to the Porta di Cinese. It's close to the Colonna di San Lorenzo. So it's a place where people will hang out in the movie and you drink a glass of wine and you should have to meet editors, young editors, and the publisher is always there. It's a very nice place. Just finally then, uh, Barcelona, you were there for so many years. You did the same sort of thing there, did you, or not? It was lovely. I've been there twice. I mean, the first time I was running a, what was a small company, the Mondadori Activities in Spain, Rihalbo, the Rihalbo group. The second time we merged Rihalbo with the Bertelsmann Activities. So it was a big group. And we were doing the same thing, man. We started uh, with... A lot of lunch with authors. Uh, I mean, it was different because the company was bigger and uh, yes, we uh, invested money and uh, we organized three to launch to, to present the new books of Ken Follett. I think I'm the only guy who organized four different concerts of Ken Follett around the world. We had one in Madrid, Barcelona, with one in Positano and another one in uh, Frankfurt. 
uh, we were not uh, even talking about books. It was just Ken on stage with his friends playing music. It was fun. We saw the books. Is this because you're Italian? Because you're so f like social and it's friendly? Because I, because I love parties. <laughs> But that's but that's helping you be successful. That's the, how that's, that's how you've been successful. It's the same. Why why people use Facebook or uh, with others? And so if you do that in a place in a physical place, and you let me say you develop the habit, and uh, you can do it once or twice. But then if people start coming back, then you succeeded. It's much better than putting an ad on a newspaper on the front page of a newspaper. Because I mean, I'm paying. If I'm paying for an ad, what can I say? It's this book is not worth the money I'm asking you. I'm I'm giving a party. And we talk. It's not only my party. I mean, don't be that stupid. I love parties, but I love party because in in parties you meet people, you talk with people, and uh, you listen a lot at parties and helps new ideas to come out and sometimes you find someone that has a good voice many different reasons he, he can't show that voice and you can offer him a stage to show that to show his voice and uh, we launched two new authors uh, and the first one won the won a literary prize in italy then it was in the finalist for premio strega and now there's another author that we that attended those parties and after a year we asked her when you have very nice point of view have you ever thought about writing something and she said well i'm writing something i she was just ashamed of showing it and we read it said fine and, and when we published it and it was a success it was a success for it five thousand copies in italy yeah and then you made your money back plus a little bit and she made some money as well and she has an agent and she's second book and uh, she's performing well and that's uh, you know and I don't want to be rhetoric but I'm Italian so I can be rhetoric it's like giving birth <laughs> when you when you do that thing it's like yeah. giving birth and it's uh, it's a wonderful experience to, to have people meeting each other and yeah. listening to each other well listen thank you uh, thank you for for sharing yourself it's been a real pleasure to listen to you. Best of luck in uh, all your future endeavors. So thank you very much. I'm going to be on the video file. And, uh... Very good. So I'll be speaking with Ricky Cavallero, who is... Now, what are you now? Unemployed? Unemployed, but still loving parties. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.